Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Marnie Andes online. Marnie, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Michael. Thank you for being here. Uh, as we were talking about in the pre-show, we could probably talk about six hours, but we're not going to keep you that long. Uh, because, but you talk about leadership and all kinds of different aspects of it and the human element of it and personal leadership and all that. So I want to share with the audience a little bit about you and then we'll dive right into this conversation. Great. Well, I always tell people, Michael, I'm a born and bred Nebraska farm girl. That's where I came from. That's what I talk to people about. And uh, interestingly enough, I'll talk a little bit about what that means to me as a leader and how I've actually utilized that kind of introduction with other folks. Um, I, you know, I learned early on that uh, I didn't have to try to be bigger than I was, that it actually mattered where I came from. And so that is important for you to know. I have spent most of my career helping people develop within organizations, whether that be sort of, you know, overseeing training or leadership development. And certainly being a leader myself, I have seen this from all kinds of angles. I've seen it from the team that I lead, um, the ways in which I've either struggled or had some great successes, but then also how I've coached others to lead their team. So I'm really excited to get into the conversation and share more about what I'm seeing, what I've experienced and, and how that could add value to your listeners. The lessons of the farm is so applicable to corporate, nonprofit, and everything like that. I mean, I didn't grow up on a farm. I had an aunt and uncle uh, that you know, had a farm, and I'd go out there and play with my cousins. And uh, never, no matter how hard I tried, I always found where the cows left their droppings. So my <laughs> shoes were always in the trunk of my parents' vehicle on the ride back home. My dad says, do not look. And I said, I'm looking all the time. And I'm looking, I'm like, yeah, okay, I don't see one in front of me as I'm standing on one as I'm looking to miss one. So I wasn't always good about doing that. But uh, but the thing of it is with, with the leadership, and you know, like I said, we could take this in all kinds of different directions. But one of the things I find uh, with a lot of leaders is most people that be get into leadership roles, you know, they, they rise through the ranks, you know, they're really good at what they do and they get promoted and maybe they shift and move around organizations to new roles. But sometimes that leadership training of how to be a leader never happens within the organization. So many of us that are in roles, we have to learn on the fly and or, you know, hit up the bookstore and buy a bunch of books and, and, and steal, rob, and borrow from all the great leaders that, you know, write books like yourself and everybody else and figure out, okay, what pieces um, work for me? So, you know, talk a little bit about your journey and how, and obviously from, you know, growing up in Nebraska and farming and all of that, you know, plays a big role, but, you know, what are some things that you've picked up along the way that have, you know, given you the, you know, the insight and, and the vision to be able to see, you know, what great leadership looks like and which areas could be improved. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, the question we can go to your point, we can go in all kinds of different directions and actually go really deep into some conversations. You know, the reason why I wrote the book, Michael, was what I was finding were some of the um, really core fundamental lessons that I ended up sharing in the book. Those are the kinds of lessons that I was sharing with other leaders within organizations. And not just as I was developing or helping support leaders. I mean, in many cases, this was 
you know, C-level type strategic discussions where I was sharing some of these stories from my childhood. And what I found was those are the lessons that are so part of us. That's why I call them homegrown lessons. There are many, they, they may have a different flavor for you personally, even if you didn't, you know, grow up on a farm, but many of these lessons are like fundamental values that we can be using in business. One of my lessons is, you know, how do you create always looking for a win-win type relationship? There's those kinds of opportunities that always happen in business, but what we don't realize is that those things have already been instilled in us in some way, shape, or form as we've grown up. And so that's really what I like to point people to. And that's the reason why I wrote my book, because I, I first and foremost needed to write these lessons down myself. I was sort of sharing them organically. I was talking to people about what the value of it was and how that how I actually, you know, um, started to associate those things, not just as a child growing up with those lessons, but how I was actually using them in business in my personal life. But I think for people, what they really need to do is just eliminate so much of the, oh, I need to have what's the most trending thing right now. I need to think through, you know, what are the top 10 things I need to be doing as leaders? I actually think it just sits within all of us to be able to do it. And so that was so much of what I did. I mean, <laughs> your experience on a forum, actually, I love the fact that you just shared what you did, which was you were always stepping in the stuff. Actually, that's a perfect analogy for what we do as leaders. You have to step in the stuff. And one thing you learn being a farm kid is you have to think like a leader and a business owner all the time. When you're being asked to help mom or dad or do something in the field or do something on the farm, it isn't just because it was a job that you got to clock in for and you had to figure out how to you know, work the certain hours and then you get to go home. No, this was your livelihood. And so I think that there's elements like that. And even if you didn't live on a farm, I think there's certain aspects as a leader that you could really dig into to say, like, how was I taught these kinds of things that I can really rely on? And how can I share that with my team? So, I mean, I'd love to get into some concepts maybe that, you know, I've shared in the book or maybe some things that you're seeing that you would love for us to dig into. And I can sort of give you the application to my book. Well, that's great. No, I, I think there's so many lessons in your book and, and congratulations. I always congratulate authors, uh, yeah, having written you know, a couple of books myself and it's, it's a big endeavor. It's not something that is done overnight or over a weekend per se. There's a lot of work in it. And I love how you said, I need to write this stuff down anyway, because I'm using this. So let's get it on paper. And then from there, we can you know, get it into a format that you know, so many people can consume. But I think one of the things that would make a lot of sense for us to chat about is how leaders are navigating you know both past tense present tense and future tense you know, this pandemic from a leadership standpoint because most of us were sent home in March of 2020 saying okay you know, we're going to be gone for a couple of weeks well it's been the longest two weeks in the history of the human race but now that here we are you know a, a year and some change later we're starting to see a shift to the next stage so you know, maybe some of the experiences you've seen with some of the leadership triumphs and maybe even struggles that you've witnessed during the pandemic and, and looking forward, what are some things that you think a lot of leaders are going to have to face? And I know one of them is this, that's kind of a conundrum in a way, because you know, I'm seeing statistics of organizations saying, we want our employees to come back to the office and a lot of the employees, especially millennial-based aged uh, surveys are indicating they want hybrid or they want to work remote all the time. So those are 
two different paths. So I'd be love to, you know, we can dive into that as well. But just curious about your insights of, of what you've seen from a leadership standpoint uh, of, of this pandemic and some things that have gone well and things that people have struggled with. Right. Well, great question. I think what the pandemic really did was highlight for us what we've been teaching leaders for so long to do and what, quite frankly, we as human beings need to be taught to do, which is to connect with people on a level in which honest and open dialogue can happen. And what the pandemic did by sending everyone home was said, you know, how do you keep connected to your people? And, and how were you already doing that or not doing that real effectively sitting in an office environment together or potentially taking that for granted because you all showed up at the same physical location every day? You know, now it was, well, how do I stay connected to all my people? And I'll tell you the triumph that I found with the team that I was leading during the bulk of the pandemic was we were so good at doing the fundamental things really well. We had already spent, you know, years before that making sure that when we collaborated, we did it in a way where everybody had easy access to all the information all the time. So if we were physically in the same room together or 200 miles apart, working remote, whatever that might look like, we were still able to do it. So a lot of it was saying, you know, spent on the fundamentals leading up to that. And that actually happens to be one of the one of the stories I do share in my book, which is lesson number two, um, start with the give me shots. And that is just getting really good at what you fundamentally do well and practicing it every day. So because my team had invested so much time before the pandemic at doing those things, making sure we knew how to connect with each other virtually like this, making sure we knew how to check in on each other and have consistent one-on-ones. Then when we moved home, really nothing changed other than we weren't going to the same physical office space together. So that's where I saw a lot of people get tripped up. So really the, the, the flip of that is if you haven't committed as a leader to have weekly one-on-ones with your direct reports, with your people closest to you, you need to. And that doesn't mean you're coming into a connection point where you're going through a bunch of tasks or you're talking about where are we at in our strategic priorities or what are we doing here? This is actually just 15 minutes to connect with each of your people and just say, how are you doing? And I will say this, coupled with that element of people just getting the attention that they so desperately seek to have, even though you may have the most senior leaders, you may be the CEO of a company and now your direct reports are the most senior leaders. You might see think to yourself, well, they don't need that kind of connection. They do. We're all human beings and we're all dealing with this pandemic in very different ways. And quite frankly, we're all dealing with the stressors of work in very different ways. So having that connection point where we see each other as human beings is incredibly important. And for the leaders that I have seen invest that kind of time consistently, they see way more benefits coming from their team work balance and people being engaged in the organization and people being happy and people staying with the organization. And if you flip it and say to yourself, well, maybe if I'm not doing that, am I looking at myself first and foremost to see why are people leaving the team? And I know to your point, you talk about burnout all the time. I believe that if we stay connected to our people, we don't have to find out that they're actually burnt out. We start to hear where they're starting to have the fire brew. And we're starting to see that. And if we connect with them consistently, we can have a way to say, hey, you know, maybe if it's just empathy, 
I get it. I've been there too. I understand where you're coming from. Here's what maybe we can do together or what ideas do you have? And really to sort of round out the last part of it, which is what do we do now that people are, you know, some organizations are saying, we got to get back into the office. I will tell you that the organization I came from and the new organization I just started with about a month ago, we are really thinking about being forward thinking, which is we're in a different world. Potentially, we have been for some time, but the pandemic certainly put it front and center for us. We need to be flexible first and more foremost. We need to meet people where they're at. If people were performing really well, we're having the support that they needed from a home office environment and they're thriving, you know, can we meet those teammates, those employees where they're at and do that really well? So we're, we're really launching out a hybrid model, helping our senior leaders think through, well, maybe you do have roles that potentially have a better engagement or have better connection to things if they're in the office, but where can we actually meet our teammates as well who want to have more of a work from home environment? And I'll tell you what, by us just doing that, the conversations I hear, Michael, aren't oh gosh, I can't believe we're going back to the office. I really liked working from home. Actually, the conversations I'm hearing is, this is so great. You hear me as a person and I actually think I might want to come in one or two days a week and actually work on a collaborative environment. Like I'm really looking forward to getting to see people. So you're hearing the conversations are so much different. It's not so much about what's being taken away. It's about, I have this great opportunity to contribute to an organization in the way in which I see fit. So I think if leaders can just step into that as their own unique what they need as leaders, as human beings to have this work, and then simply funnel and facilitate those conversations with their teams can be incredibly rewarding. Yeah, the organizations that will be strong and thrive uh, both post-pandemic and even in the future are the ones that are looking towards the future and, and having those open conversations with their employees. And there are people I know that have worked for me in the past. Uh, there are some that you know, have absolutely enjoyed this pandemic as much as they can. They're not happy about the pandemic and all the cost and the loss and everything like that. But the fact that they've been able to work remotely all the time, they're thriving. And then there are some that uh, are really struggling with it because they need the collaborative uh, in meeting face-to-face with people. So having a hybrid format where it can ebb and flow to match the strengths and the needs of your team will get better productivity and better products and services that you and I as consumers will receive. If you have a healthy organization, they're making better things, better services. And we as members of society benefit from that. So society has a role to play in making sure organizations are healthy. We're, we're seeing it, of course, with sustainability and green energy and all of those kind of things. My hope in, in the course, in the, the level of leadership that I work with and in the burnout space, my goal is that society will encourage organizations to take the steps to make sure that those organizations are healthy. And by healthy, it means, yeah, you're living a sustainable life, but your employees are happy and healthy, which means lower turnover, better products and services, and there's you know plenty to go around. So, that it all boils down to that really knowing your team. Doesn't matter if you're a team of 50 or a team of 50,000. It's knowing and checking in and, and asking what works best for them instead of the old hierarchical 
Okay, this is the new policy. Okay, did you talk to anybody? Did you ask anybody in the front lines about this? You just said, we're doing this. It's like, do you understand? You've just added 40 new steps to the, the process. And how is that going to help them? So, uh, and we've seen it, you know, with siloed leadership and, and disconnects and all of that. So, again, the healthy organizations that do that, are probably the ones that have done pretty well during this pandemic, even when the world was more or less upside down for a bit. Yeah, I agree. I, I think just hearing you sort of talk back about what you just heard and sort of saying, sharing your additional thoughts, this is where I continue to come back to and why I've shared so much of this as being homegrown lessons. Because if, if the organizations and leaders themselves just first and foremost say, listen, I'm a human being. I have needs. Let me think about like, first and foremost, what would be my opinion of this or how am I experiencing it? And how am I inviting others to do the same? I mean, those kinds of connection points, those really thoughtful conversations that don't take much more than just being willing to listen to what people have to say. And I, I share this, I think there's applicability here where I've I've always <laughs> told my children more so is my older son. He's 16. And I, you know, I've said to him, like, listen, you're getting to the point where, you know, next year you're going to be a junior in high school. You're starting to try to make decisions around where you might want to go to school. I said, I've always thought about my job with you as a parent being threefold to keep you safe, to keep you healthy, and to teach you core values that you will continue to take on with you for the rest of your life. That's it. I'm not here to teach to make you popular, to teach you how to be athletic, to teach you how to be all those things. Like none of that matters to me. Safety, healthy, core values. And I, I really think like that's a perfect example. Like businesses right now, let's think about that. How do we keep our people safe? How do we keep them healthy? And how do we continue to thrive on the core values that have made the business successful? And, and if you really come down to that, that really starts to help you think through, well, that might be a flexible environment that probably is some sort of hybrid model. And if we have sort of these guideposts to help us, I don't think we have to overcomplicate it. To your point, we don't need a 40-point policy that gets rolled out. We really just need to treat each other as human beings and, and, and figure out how to navigate it together that way. And I, I know that the HR department, always in working with HR leaders and chief HR officers, They've got a difficult role. I'm not that the CEO role isn't and not that the frontline people's roles aren't difficult. Everybody has a challenging job, but I always find HR has an interesting dynamic because one, they have to protect the interest of the organization and the resources and all of that, but they also have to make sure that they are hearing and addressing the needs of the employees. And sometimes they're a, a gateway to everything. And sometimes they can be a bottleneck based on how the dynamics of the organization and the C-suite and everything else goes into it. So you know, in talking with HR leaders, they've really had a challenging time over this last year and a bit. So and I know in the work that you do, I'm sure you you'd address you know, some people in the HR space as well. What are some of the things uh, that they're coming to you with on, on some of the challenges that they're facing? Well, you know, I, I am essentially in human resources. I mean, the way that we look at it in the most recent team now that I lead called Teammate Experience, I actually oversee compensation, benefits, employee engagement, uh, diversity and inclusion. So I think there's just a lot wrapped up in all of that, which is, again, how do you keep people safe? How do you keep them healthy? And how do you help um, the business and teammates alike 
you know, be guided by the core values. And, you know, how I've worked inside human resources for the last couple of opportunities that I've had, and then previous to that working side by side with human resources or people services, there's there's just a transition in general. So I think about how businesses you know, are, are trying to be forward thinking, how leaders are trying to really uh, be more engaged with all of their teammates. I mean, just over so many years, HR has really, you know, stepped up and provided the consultative you know, framework to help leaders. You know, we always share with folks, um, you know, we aren't here to practice your leadership for you. We aren't here to make your leadership decisions for you. We're here to help support you. In some cases that might be coaching you. In some cases that might be advising you. In some cases that might be, you know, helping facilitate something with you. But at the end of the day, the business and the values that business cares about, leaders individually have to know, how do I lead myself? How do I lead my team? And how do I help lead the organization? That's not the C-level's job. That's not HR's job. That's not any one particular person's job. It's all of our jobs. So I see the role of human resources, uh, certainly in the organizations that I've worked with recently and, and with my human resources uh, leader that I've worked with most recently is this is it's a partnership. You know, we help support where we need to. We help coach where we need to. And I think, you know, that's one of the things that if you aren't working with your HR uh, teammates in that kind of capacity, that is what you can start to experiment with as well. In addition to what we're sharing today, which is to connect with your people, connect with your HR people to to utilize them where that you can, but not necessarily assume that they're the ones that fix things. I think too many times that's what I hear. It's HR is the the fixer, or when something goes downhill, they have to figure out how to help with that. No, an HR person should be at the table helping you as a leader. And I would tap into your team more if you can, if you feel like you need to have support in those areas. I completely agree with you. And I think it's long overdue because, again, it it helps eliminate those silos that just drive me absolutely insane. Because, like, wait, you're all working in the same organization, but you you're you're designed to be all these independent things. It's like you're all part of the same ecosystem. So understanding what everybody else is doing and and being open and transparent about it just makes things easier. It it streamlines things. It prevents spending 10 hours on something that should have taken one and a variety of other hiccups and and, and challenges that frustrate so many people. And I, I think that this this pandemic and everyone working remotely in, in some cases has helped break out those silos a little bit because everyone's got to, they can't just assume anything. They have to, okay, what's going on with this? So I know in some instances, the communication has improved. My hope is that that will carry through in whatever format an organization elects to go with. And, and one thing that I think, and especially in the conversations that you're having with who you are with now, I think it's important for organizations, and I'm, I'm guessing you probably agree on this, to understand that this forward-thinking way of doing things is an ongoing process. It isn't a, okay, it's going to be uh, policy number 42-655, and it's written, and here's how it's going to be forever and ever. It's all new frontier for so many of us. So, uh, 
write it in pencil if you need to and say, okay, this is you know going to adapt to what we discover as we get into this and making sure everybody understands that this is using a tech term. Okay. This is a beta version of what work is going to look like. And maybe we'll get to alpha. Maybe we won't. We'll, we're going to see, but let everybody know. It's like this, this could be really bumpy, but it's going to be bumpy for all of us. And mm-hmm. uh, this is a, you know, no questions or, you know, no, you know, bad questions say what you see to help us work through this. And, it'll harmonize out. And I, I think the organizations that are going to be strong are going to recognize that, yeah, this is going to look a little weird. It's going to be like when we you know, went to sixth grade dance and none of us could dance. It's like, we're, we're kind of awkward. And, you know, then the, the, you know, the, the, the people at the camp are saying, you know, you're a little too close, you know, remember two hands apart, you know, back up arms stretch, you know, it's like, well, yeah, try dancing like that. It doesn't work. But when you're, you know, sixth grade, you know, everything's going, on that's probably a good idea to do that but but at the end of the day it's having organizations just be open to the unknown and 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 being a little bit more comfortable with it and i think that's a challenge that many companies and leaders have had is they'd like to know everything and sometimes we just don't know and we're gonna have to make the best decisions on what we do know and adapt accordingly oh, i love what you just <laughs> said about you know the the fact that we don't know. I mean, I have shared this with many leaders. I, I remind myself of it, you know, all the time. I, and, and I know you know this, Michael, having published books and, and have been a thought leader and shared this. You know, you don't, you're not sharing anything you haven't tried yourself, right? So I tell people first and foremost, I, I think life is one big experiment. And if you can think like a scientist, if you can think like someone who's experimenting, that in and of itself, a lot of those other things that you just shared, you know, you're asking for feedback, you're trying something and see if it works. That kind of mindset just naturally is ingrained in your processes. You start to foster an environment in which people start to operate that way. This whole idea of I, you know, it's this black and white, I know this thing. So if this, then that type, we don't have that anymore. And we're at, we're in a space now where no one has been through this before. So we're all in this experimenting and learning for the first time together. And I think if there's any transition that would couple and partner really nicely with being incredibly connected to your people is starting to model and foster an environment by which people can experiment. We can try things and we can admit if they don't work. And we can try this over here and say, you know what, maybe that didn't feel that great, but maybe that's actually part of what this experiment needs to include. I think, I mean, all the conversations we're starting to have, whether it be around our organizations, whether it be, you know, about social connections within the community and what our organization is doing to extend beyond that. I mean, as leaders, it's not just about what we're doing for the business. It's about what the business is doing for the community that we have to think about. And I don't know any other way to start doing that than just starting to open up the dialogue and think about this as an experiment and that nobody has the answer, but that's part of our responsibility is to facilitate the ability to get to the answer, not to necessarily just have it and start publishing it everywhere. It's like a playground. 
you know, and it's, right. and just having the freedom and the flexibility to, to try things. You know, I think about, it was just recently the um, scientist that used to work for 3M that was uh, part of the team that came up with the post-it note glue and all of that. It, that was, you know, something that they had, created this glue and it was wasn't as sticky as they needed it and like oh, what are we going to do with this stuff and you know they played around with it for years to figure out what to do and then all of a sudden the post-it note was born and boy did that make 3m some money but again <laughs> it's it's that giving teams the the permission to play experiment um, try different things if it doesn't work congratulations we just figured out a way to not do something Okay, as long as it doesn't harm anybody, great, let's do it. And I think many organizations, especially the ones that are in stressful environments and all of that, they don't get to do that. They're just, you have to do this and maybe they're overwhelmed with work and they haven't given them the opportunity to find more efficient ways to do that work. And I'm hoping that more organizations will be open to the, let's experiment, let's listen to the people that are doing the work and see what is working and what isn't and, and come up with some concept and ideas to make it a little bit more efficient or easier for them to do it. And when we do that, all of a sudden that gains momentum and your organization starts growing and, and becoming better at what they're doing. And they realize, okay, maybe we shouldn't be doing this because we're not getting the ROI on it, or it's, it's not really what our customers want. It's there, but we don't really do anything with it. It's bundled in with everything else, but no one's using it. So why are we putting any emphasis on it? It's not doing anything. And you truncate that. And the next thing you know, you're like, okay, now we're, we're hitting a rhythm and a flow. And again, it, it, it rebuilds the energy. And again, it all boils down to what we've talked about throughout this conversation is just, you know, being open, communicate, see what people want, um, collaborative and, and, you know, focus on the human element of what we all are. We're not all robots. We're all not AI. We are living, breathing creatures that have all kinds of different things going on in our life every day and making sure that, that work is a component that isn't taking away from the human experience. It's actually adding it. Yeah. I, I think something else too, as you were speaking, that kind of hit me I think it's easy for people to hear when we're having a conversation about leadership to think about, oh, that must be the person that is leading a group of people. So we're, we're talking about leaders and and what they need to do with their people. And and I, you know, the role that I've played over the last five years is is really also not just leading the team, but helping other leaders, my peers, other executives that are above me in the organization really think about this. And I'll tell you, the reason why the connection piece is really important, and I would I would challenge your leaders to think about this too, your listeners to think about this, which is it's not just about the team you're leading. It's making those connections with others within the organization, your peers, people who you're reporting to, to make sure that that, that kind of environment is happening. I was on a call before the Memorial Day weekend with a CEO of our company, and I and the first question I asked him, I said, how are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing? And, you know, he shared with me, he's like, I haven't, I haven't been asked that question recently. And th that's part of the reason why I asked that question of leaders is because I genuinely want to know how they're doing. I want to know how I can help support. I want to be able to also get in the dialogue with them, share with how I'm doing too. But see, you, you get reminded in that instance that 
to your point, everyone is going through this. Everyone is a human being that's having to navigate this. And so part of the connection isn't just about the people that we lead. It's actually taking care of our the groups that we're already working with and how are we checking in on other leaders? And, and I, I think about this too with organizations that might be challenged by this, which is there might be pockets of the organization to your point that are working in a silo. Maybe they've been led in a certain way for so long. Maybe you've made some changes to the organization. And the thing that I think as a leader that you're also responsible for is checking in on people. You know, how are you, are you making observations? Are you watching what's happening you know, across the organization, not just within your own lane so that you can offer suggestions, you can offer support, you can offer a, an ear to listen, to start to open up that dialogue. I think too many times you have, if I've seen it in organizations where people have worked very separately like that, it's, it's probably because there's not some sort of connection happening. Someone's not asking how each other, how they're doing. Someone's not asking how the work's, you know, being done. How could we be making it better? How can my team, even though maybe you're not calling us out to support you, how could we play a role in that? And, and that is what the pandemic, to your point, the pandemic opened up all these lines where it was kind of like everyone's, you know, all hands on deck. We got to figure out how to solve this problem. We got to figure out how to move to virtual. And I've been in healthcare during the pandemic. And so, so much of that was how do we move to telemedicine? How do we treat patients without them having to come into a clinic? How do we have symptoms checkers and all kinds of those types of logistics? But all these teams behind the background were actually being enlisted to come to come help because that's what was required. And so I think don't lose that. I, there's that, there's a really special place of all of this. And I know you said like, hey, the pandemic brought these really good things. I think it is good for people to look at the silver lining in all of this. Yes, we had to learn some really hard lessons of maybe where we weren't prepared, but some of the ways in which we got to see this really great value for the organizations where people could do more than maybe what we hired them to do. And, and that's part of connecting with people. If I've decided to hire a role and I put them in this box of only what this role is, I have already limited not only that person, but I've limited the impact that they can have on the organization. And one thing that I have seen over and over again, and I've certainly read it in the research, people want to learn and grow. You are going to be hard pressed to find someone in your life that just sits there and goes, I don't want to learn anymore. I don't want to grow anymore. I remember even when my uh, grandma was later on in life, I remember her saying like, yeah, I don't need to learn one more thing but she was reading every morning. I, there's no one that's really in this place that just says, I don't need anymore. Most human beings, if not all, want to learn and grow. And by us opening up the dialogue, by us connecting with our people as people, we get to see not only what they desire, what they have aspirations in doing, but we can start to experiment with helping our people do their best work. And, and over time, benefiting us as an organization, because here's all this untapped potential that we now have an opportunity to know and work with just by connecting with one another. And that's the bottom line, connecting with one another. And if we do that well, everything else becomes a whole lot easier. So, Marty, I've loved our conversation today. Like I said, we could probably talk for about six hours without a break. So, um, but our, our, our bodies would probably tell us otherwise, but uh, it's great. So, where can people find out more about you, uh, your book, and all this awesome work you do? 
Well, people can find out more about me if they go to MarnieAndes.com. I maintain uh, all of my media appearances. I also am continuing to write. And so if people want to follow my blog and connect with me there, I have apparently the name of names because all my social media, if you just go to Marnie Andes, you will find me. I'm, I'm, I post a lot on LinkedIn. I'd love to connect with people there. I post on Instagram as well. And then again, if folks are interested in my book, which is Start With The Give Me Shots, Eight Homegrown Lessons for Business and Life, where I talk a lot about about the lessons I learned from my dad and how I have seen that manifest in my leadership abilities uh, in my career. They can go to Amazon and search for Start With The Give Me Shots, or they can search for Marnie Andy's book and they'll find me there. Awesome. And I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So Marnie, thank you again for your time and, and the amazing work you do. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. I appreciate the great work that you're doing to help organizations and people eliminate burnout. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of The Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.